My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. The title of my sermon this morning is The Unfairness of the Gospel. If you've ever spent any time on social media or YouTube, you'll often come across apologetic conversations that are going on between Christians and uh, various uh, denominations and groups, as well as conversations between Christians and atheists or Christians and agnostics. Sometimes you'll see videos with outrageous titles like Christianity Refuted or something like that. One common trope in these types of videos that's used against Christianity to cast it in an unfavorable and even an immoral light is the trope of deathbed conversion. And I'll give you an example. Usually someone will say, if Hitler on his deathbed asked Jesus for forgiveness and for salvation, would he go to heaven? And it's used to point out uh, supposed inconsistencies in Christian thought about salvation. The thing is, it's a dumb question. And it's a shallow attempt to try and stump someone. And I think the answer to this question actually is that a person like Hitler would never on his deathbed ask Jesus for forgiveness. And the reason for this is because he spent his entire life rejecting Christ. He spent his entire life living in wickedness, living a life embracing evil to the darkest places that it could ever go. And there was nothing in his life that indicated that he was even open to the idea of repentance. And those who persist in that constant embrace of evil, and did, indeed thinking that evil itself is good, will reject the good and will spend eternity in that rejection wallowing in their own self-righteousness, bereft of divine grace and comfort. That said, there have been people in history who have had lives of wickedness, who have turned to Christ for forgiveness and for repentance for what they've done before they passed. And I think a case in point, even though it's not in the reading today, it was on my mind when preparing for this, is the thief on the cross, who's come, become known to the church as St. Dismas. We don't really know what he did, but we know it was terrible enough for the Romans to crucify him, which was an act reserved for those who revolted against Rome. It was used to punish slaves. It was the worst form of punishment that they could inflict to show their power and to highlight your own weakness. But it's in that weakness that Christ's strength is made manifest. In that sense, then, there seems to be something unfair about the gospel itself. Forgiveness is extended to the thief at the end of his life, and forgiveness is extended to those who turn to Christ and continue in him throughout their lives. And I think we see this on display in the readings this morning from Jonah and from St. Matthew's Gospel. And in the Jonah story, oftentimes the Jonah story in modern preaching comes down to something along the lines of, well, Jonah was prejudiced against a group of people, and so that's why he, le that's why he left. He hated the Assyrians, and... He ran away, right? I mean, that's partially true. He, he probably did hate the Assyrians very much. 
but not because he was prejudiced against them because of the color of their skin or prejudiced against them because of their particular ethnicity. The reason why he'd be pre prejudiced against the Assyrians is because they were notoriously cruel. They were notoriously cruel. There's an interesting podcast, if you're interested, called The Collapse of Civilizations. talks about the Assyrian Empire and, and delves a little bit into their cruelty. It's worth a listen to. But they were notoriously cruel. They were known for their extreme torture and for their militarism. So in that light, you could see why somebody like Jonah would be like, you know what, God, I don't really want to go preach to them to, to repent. Uh, or else you're going to you know, wipe them out. I would just like you to wipe them out. Because Assyria had done some pretty terrible things against Jonah's own people. Okay? Jonah, though we know the story, he finally obeys after the incident with the, the great fish. And I preached on that a couple weeks ago, being swallowed in the sea. He prays and he spit up on dry ground. He finally obeys and he goes through the city saying, 40 days and the city will be overthrown. And the reading this morning begins with the result of their repentance. In the, in the end of the previous chapter, the king is like, wow, we should probably repent. And their repentance is so widespread that they even put sackcloth and ashes on the cows, on their livestock. And God relents from bringing judgment upon them. Now, oftentimes we'll look at this and say, God relents. That means God has changed his mind. That God is fickle. Have you ever heard that? People preach that or say that? God changes his mind. He's fickle. He jumps from one thing to another. When it talks about God relenting from bringing this punishment upon them, it's not that God has changed his mind. But one thing we have to always remember in the scriptures, whenever we see judgment coming, whenever judgment is pronounced, whenever God sends a prophet to say judgment is coming, whenever that happens, judgment is always wrapped up in God's desire to bring about repentance. So when you read the punishments in the book of Revelation with the bulls and the trumpets and the seals and we think about all of these judgments being visited upon the inhabitants of the, of the, and the rulers of the earth, all of that revolves around the idea of God trying to inculcate this desire in the human soul to repent. Does this make Jonah happy? No, he gets angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, take my life from me. To him, God showing mercy to his enemies, to those who asked for mercy, causes him to want to die. Almost like a petulant teenager. I can't stand it. They deserve all the fire in the brimstone. Why? Why? Why do you spare them? And God uses a plant to teach Jonah a lesson. And the book ends with a question. There's no resolution at the end of the book of Jonah. It ends in a question. God basically, he makes a plant grow. It gives Jonah shade in the heat of the day. God allows the plant to die. The plant dies and Jonah's out in the desert, so he's getting heat stroke and he's getting angry at the plant dying. And God's like, you didn't do anything to cultivate that plant. You didn't water that plant or cause it to grow. 
I gave it to you as a gift to shield you. In light of that, should I not spare an entire city of people and the livestock? God was concerned about the livestock because it says it right there, right, in the text. Men, women, and children, and animals, should I not spare them and have compassion on them? Dot, dot, dot. That's the end of the book. Ultimately, the repentance was short-lived because Nineveh is ultimately destroyed in the 600 BC. See, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love because that's the point of his judgments is to bring us to repentance, to bring wayward people and nations and countries to repentance. And when we read the vineyard parable in the Gospel of Matthew, we see something very similar on display. But this, this parable isn't meant to be read in isolation. In, in, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus states what is repeated here about the last being first and the first last. Right? So this parable flows from Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. If you wish to be perfect, sell all you have. Give your money to the poor and follow me. The only person that Jesus calls in the Gospels to follow him who refuses, by the way. All of those that Jesus calls to follow him, the, the poor, right? Except for maybe St. Matthew, right? He's a tax collector. The only person to refuse Jesus' call to follow him is the rich, wrong, uh, rich and ruler. And Jesus says, it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples respond, well, who could be saved, right? And Peter responds, Jesus, we've left everything. Everything that you told him to do, we've done that. Just so you know. And Jesus is like, I know, Peter, right? Like, I got you. Yep. And this is your reward. That you, know, you and those who continue to do this will rule and reign with me in the kingdom to come. And the parable flows from that, right? And we see a landowner, the master, right? He's looking for someone to come and work his fields to bring in the crops, right? So we see him look for workers in the morning. Hey, what are you guys doing? Come work for me for a denarius. Okay. He goes again at the third hour because the work still needs more work needs to be done. And he calls them at the third hour. And then he calls some people at the sixth hour. Hey, come and work. And he calls somebody at the ninth hour. And even at the eleventh hour, right, right before dusk, like, hey, let's go. Come work for me in the field and I will pay you Whatever, I whatever is right, I will give you, he says. Whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right is determined <laughs> right, by, in this parable by the landowner, by the master. He is the one who determines what is right. And at the end of the day, all of the workers get paid the same wage. The same wage. Imagine that happening today in our day and time. We would see this as unfair. We would, our unions would be like, where's their overtime? Where's their holiday pay? They were out there for hours. Did you give them the appropriate lunch breaks? Every, was it a half hour or an hour? You need to quiet quit that job and make annoying social media posts about it. A lot of medical workers doing TikTok videos and they should probably be working on patients, but I digress. That's not fair. It's not fair. And in some sense, it isn't. It isn't. Because 
We're conditioned by our culture, by our economic system, that those who work harder and longer deserve to be paid more. And the parable here isn't trying to teach us a lesson about economics. Right? If you take a, this parable and you're like, well, we can see sort of like whoever works the longest or the shortest, they all get paid the same way. That's like equity of wages across the board. So this is kind of like an economic model that we need to use. Right? That's not the point of this parable. Right? The rewards given by the master is the same for all who work for him. To all who responded to his call for work. Because the wage is his to give. The money belongs to him. The land is his. The ground that they're working belongs to him. It is not theirs to demand. So to the master, he thinks, and he's generous. Because he gives the people who he hires at the end of the day the same amount of money he gives to those who started at the beginning. He is fair and he is generous. We don't like this necessarily as modern people. This parable is teaching something about, not about economics, not about economic injustice. This is teaching us something about God. It is teaching us something about God's call, God's offer of salvation, God's gift of grace to us. As we saw in Jonah, God is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy. It was an act of mercy for this, the master in this parable to give them the same wage. Abounding in mercy. God calls us all. He calls all of us to life in Him. And the reward for those who respond to His call through the waters of baptism as an infant... And the reward for those who are called, who come to him after a life lived in sin, but through the pulling of the Holy Spirit, being brought to repentance, the reward for that person is the same as the reward for the person who is faithful to God their entire life. That's the point of this parable. The reward for us all is the same. See, as humanity, we are dead in our sins, Scripture tells us. We are dead in our trespasses. But God, as we heard in the reading from Philippians, right? Jesus humbles himself by taking on the form of a servant, by uniting divine nature with human nature. He takes on our humanity to destroy our sin and destroy the power of death and Satan. And so his call is for all. His call is for whosoever will come to him. And the reward for those who answer that call at the beginning of their lives and live for him all the way through, the call for those who may have started off and then fall along the way but are brought back into the faith, and the call to those who, those who respond to the call who lived an entire life of sin but who through God's gracious and goodness are brought about to repentance, the reward is the same. Because Christ humbled himself and died to make it so, and to redeem us, and to save us from our ancient foe. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory, together with the Father who is from everlasting, and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you are ever in the area, please join us for worship. We'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about what you heard, or if you would like prayer, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or our website, ZionStoneUCC.com. 
We also are raising funds for some repair source stained glass windows. So if you get a benefit from listening to this podcast, please head over to GoFundMe.com slash Zion Stone Church Repair Fund. God bless you and thanks for listening.